You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode 23. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Megan McKinnon all about fertility and the birth control pill. Let's do this. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Today, I'm going to be chatting with my friend and colleague, Dr. Megan McKinnon, a naturopathic doctor. We work together at the 1360 Care Obstetrics and Gynecology Practice in Aurora, Ontario. And we're going to talk all things birth control pill in this episode. If you're on the pill, or if you've recently come off the pill, or if you've ever been on the pill at any time, you don't want to miss this episode. Today, we're going to discuss how the pill actually works, consequences of being on the pill, ways to support your body while you're on the pill, what to do when you want to come off the pill, and of course, the discussion that always comes up on the podcast around deeper cultural conditioning, gender dynamics, and how that affects how women's healthcare in our modern medical system plays out. Before I play the interview, I want to offer Dr. Megan's bio. Dr. Megan McKinnon helps women harness their hormones for optimal energy, mood, and performance at all ages and stages of life. Megan is a women's health and hormone naturopathic doctor. She works with women in a fully integrative manner, both in person and virtually, helping them achieve their goals. Megan has a background in comparative physiology, which nourished her analytical and curious mind. This curiosity and drive to understand how things work is now something that she applies daily in patient care. Dr. Megan is particularly interested in how hormones affect mood and brain health and is a passionate advocate for women to have true informed consent regarding their healthcare choices. She's a regular lecturer and guest speaker, and she has advanced training in bioidentical hormones, registered acupuncture, natural fertility support, and environmental medicine. So without further delay, let's play my interview with Dr. Megan McKinnon. Welcome, Dr. Megan. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I'm super excited. Me too. This has been a long time coming. We've been working together for a little bit now, and I keep saying that I need to have you on the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. So I've already read your professional bio in the intro, but if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you do, that'd be great. Sure. Not a problem. How long do we have, right? No. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor, so I specialize and focus in the area of women's health and hormones. Um, And I always, you know, knew that I was going to be in a health-related profession in some shape or form. Um, And, you know, if if I go back a little bit further, I can think about when I was in my undergrad I hadn't even heard of what a naturopathic doctor was at that point in time. And um, unfortunately, my grandfather got quite, quite ill. And his physician told him, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. Go home. You know, he kind of told him that this might be the end. 
And um, with that, he reluctantly went to his sister's naturopathic doctor and she had him totally turned around in like six weeks. So he had another 10 years long of his life when his medical team told him that he wouldn't have long to live at all. And that really opened up my eyes to the power of naturopathic medicine, I think, because I was raised in a very conventionally set up, um, I guess, home. And now I really try to bring that power, I think, into the conversations that I have with my patients um, on a regular basis. So yeah, like that's what brought me here. And, you know, I think something that's also really important for me to convey when I'm, you know, speaking about my background and my practice um, is that especially if people are not totally familiar with natural health in general, they end up really kind of grouping. Everyone wants to sort things into little categories, right? And something that is so important for me is that it's not natural health versus medical health. It's how can we integrate the best of all worlds into making decisions for our own personal health journey. And that definitely links into, I know, our, our conversation that we're going to be having here today as well. You know, I my study buddies in universities went on to be medical doctors. My roommate in naturopathic school was a pharmacist. And, you know, I, I work today in an integrative health center with um, medical doctors, OBGYNs. And, you know, part of that really speaks to the dynamic that I want for healthcare moving forward. That's my long-winded, how did you get into this? <laughs> that was absolutely perfect. And I tend to have the same view on things where I really think that truly cutting edge medicine is the ability to recognize that there are all these different tools that are provided by different providers and each provider has their own set of tools and cutting edge medicine is being able to hold those perspectives simultaneously and apply them when applicable, if not together at the same time. I mean, I've been working in fertility medicine for over 10 years and some of the most miraculous things that I've seen have been, for example, combining IVF with Chinese medicine. It's just incredible that we have all these tools at our disposal. Totally. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that it's putting the woman or the patient above everything else. And so, you know, recognizing that we don't need to bring our own visions of what we might choose to do ourselves into any sort of equation. And when we all work together to support women to feel their best, they're going to show up, you know, for themselves in the way that they want to, they're going to show up for their communities in the way that they want to, their families. And, you know, this is the kind of change that can actually ripple into making a real difference, which I think is awesome too. Absolutely. And I think that's a great segue into our topic today, which is the birth control pill. I think that in the natural health world, there's a lot of providers out there that are very starchily anti-pill. And I think that as integrative providers, we've had the opportunity to see where the pill can be a valid and important part of somebody's treatment plan. But I do want to talk with you today about the inner workings of the pill. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you. Yeah, I think for me, part of my interest in talking about the pill stems from my 
bigger, I guess, vision and mission of really strongly wanting to support true informed consent for women with all of the decisions that they make for their healthcare. So, you know, I do specifically work most with women's health and hormones. Um, and so that means that I'm working with women who are in their, you know, pre-reproductive years through fertility, sometimes after. And then I also do work with a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause. So a lot of this passion for true informed consent for me really actually started when I was talking with women about HRT or hormone replacement therapy in perimenopause and menopause. And then it just sort of evolved and trickled downward into, I think, talking about the pill as well, because all medical decisions or treatments that we make for ourselves, whether they be a pharmaceutical like the birth control pill or going through IVF or hormone replacement therapy, or even sometimes taking a supplement, we have to weigh risk versus benefit when it comes to that. And I, you know, I really want to preface this by saying that I don't like to polarize myself onto one side or another, whether I am, I guess, pro or anti-birth control pill in any way. Um, I think that when we do that, we're doing our patients and women that we're talking to a disservice because it's our job or my job, I would say, to make sure that she knows all the information so that she can then make that informed decision for herself. That's essentially what informed consent is all about. But if we are talking kind of big picture globally, you know, we can say like the birth control pill has done amazing things for women. It wasn't an option for a lot of women to pursue secondary education, or if they did, there was always this like looming threat of a potential pregnancy happening, which in many situations could derail a lot of things. And so big picture globally, the pill has done amazing things. It's just when we get really microscopic with it, when we're talking about individual women, that sometimes we want to get a little bit more specific about what that's doing in her particular situation or body, which is what I want to talk more about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that individual picture for each woman is a really important point of discussion because I think a lot of the time when we look at pharmaceutical medications, we're looking at kind of one side of one set of risks and side effects and one set of potential benefits and we kind of apply it to everybody within the traditional medical model. And the reality is that every person's body is different and every person will have an individual reason for wanting the pill and individual reactions. And just because a side effect happens to one person doesn't mean that it'll happen to the next and vice versa. So it's an important conversation and an important consideration. And so I think that it'd be great to start with something that a lot of people might not be familiar with, which is how the pill actually works. So would you take us through that? Yeah, of course. So I think that to understand how the pill works, it's important just to think, I guess, a little bit big picture about what our hormones are naturally doing in our body over a given month. You know, when I think back to, I guess, like my story with the birth control pill or what I see with a lot of women, it's that we're in high school and, you know, all of a sudden everyone around you is going on the pill. So you just do it too. And you don't necessarily even have an understanding of why you're doing it, what's happening. And this is, you know, this is for women who don't necessarily have issues with their hormone cycle or 
are thinking that the second that they have sex that they're going to get pregnant. And, you know, there's that meme out there that exists where you spend your whole first half of your life trying to prevent a pregnancy and then you realize that that's not always something that happens as easily as you once thought, right? So when we're thinking about our hormones, it's um, it's important to know that we have really large fluctuations with our hormones that are happening throughout a non-medicated or a natural hormone cycle. So we're going to have huge elevations of estrogen to help to recruit and develop follicles or eggs. And then at ovulation, your body will release an egg, which might happen around mid-cycle. And then after a successful ovulation, your body will elevate its production of progesterone. Something that um, is really important to note as well is that these hormones that are, I guess, spiking and peaking at various points in our cycle um, also are very much connected to how we feel. And this is a huge area and focus of, I guess, a personal passion of mine when I'm talking with women too, because a lot of people, especially when we're talking about fertility, are aware of cycle tracking. But when we talk about cycle tracking, so often we're thinking about it in the context of when do I get my period? When do I ovulate? But there are so many other more, I guess, indiscriminate ways that you can experience your hormones at various phases of your cycle if you know about them first and if you stop to pay attention. So when I got really focused in on watching this for myself, you know, I can notice when I'm like on, when it comes to my energy, my communication, you know, you can feel when you have maybe a little bit more pep to your step or sway to your step in some ways. And then you can also feel times where you might feel a little bit more quiet or introspective, a little bit more like task oriented. So that's what like a normal 28 day plus or minus cycle looks like. You have these hormones fluctuating. You're going to feel different at different points in your cycle, which some women do not like. <laughs> and then with that comes ovulation, potential chance for implantation. And I will say chance there. And if implantation or pregnancy does not happen, your body knows and the whole cycle will start again. When we take the birth control pill, essentially we're taking low doses of hormones to stop that whole process from happening. So you're not going to get any ups and downs with your estrogen and progesterone that we would typically notice in a regular cycling woman. The whole point here is that when we don't get a rise of estrogen, we're not going to get ovulation. And when you don't get ovulation, you don't get pregnancy. So there's, you know, a giant benefit there when we're thinking about preventing pregnancy. But it's important to just kind of step back to also think about this, that we're used to our hormones doing this, and we can't separate how we feel from our hormones. So when we're on the pill, it's like Groundhog Day for your hormones every single day, which in some women might be yay, this is amazing. I don't have any fluctuations of my hormones. But that also means you're not going to feel the highs of your hormones as well some of the time. 
with the pill as well. So we're going to notice, you know, of course, you're not going to ovulate. We can notice a thickening of cervical mucus. So that actually also will stop any sort of fertilization. And with the estrogen levels being low, you're also going to have a thin lining, which means that if there was a chance of some sort of ovulation, there would probably, you know, not be some sort of implantation happening too. Right. So there are a couple of different mechanisms that the pill uses to prevent pregnancy. But I think it's really interesting to pause for a moment and just think, well, pregnancy itself and these hormone fluctuations are a normal part of physiology. Pregnancy isn't a pathological occurrence. And usually when we take pharmaceutical medications, we're doing so because we're sick or something's wrong. But pregnancy, on the other hand, is something that happens naturally and normally when the body is healthy. So it's kind of interesting to wrap your mind around taking a medication to essentially block a normal physiological function, which again, like you said, it's been revolutionary for people with eggs and ovaries and these hormones to be able to use this medication to for so many things. But I think that as you were speaking to earlier, sometimes there isn't enough emphasis on educating people on the exact mechanism by which the pill accomplishes this. And that makes me think that there might be some consequences, you know? Yeah. And I think the most brain blowing moment for a lot of women is when they realize that taking those sugar pills is not, you know, that's not their time when they get their period. It's that you're taking those pills that don't have hormones and then your body says, oh, there's no hormones today. And you get something that we call a withdrawal bleed, which means that's not a real period, right? And I think that even just educating women about that in itself can sometimes be this eye-opening event. I think that's a really interesting kind of tidbit of trivia where I heard, and I think it was on Lisa Hendrickson Jack's podcast called Fertility Friday. And she was, she's very outspoken about the pill at informed consent. I'm sure you know of her, but she was talking about how originally when the pill was manufactured, they just had women taking it round the clock, but women gave the pharmaceutical companies the feedback that they didn't like not getting a period every month because it was providing that reassurance for them. So it was a more of a mental health thing. So the pharmaceutical companies added that week in where people would get a withdrawal bleed just to give people that reassurance as opposed to just consistently having no period. So there's no actual usefulness to having that withdrawal bleed, which I think is super interesting. I also find that so, so interesting. And Sometimes when I'm working with someone, say, who's not trying to get pregnant and we're going through their forms, I am always surprised with how often they don't include the birth control pill as a list on their medications. And I'll start asking them about their menstrual cycles. And it won't be until we've talked about their menstrual cycles for, I don't know, five minutes before it comes out of, oh, well, I'm on the pill. Yeah. And I just think it's so inbred into people's like psyche that what they're experiencing with their periods is still them. And, you know, I would always say to that, I'm like, no, your hormones have been hijacked. That's not, you know, your hormones are not your hormones when you're on the pill. So I essentially just have to go back to that five minutes of conversation and put a big X through it because it's not relevant really when, um, you know, I don't, I don't care how many days your period is when you're on the pill. 
<laughs> necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there must be, well, I mean, with any pharmaceutical drug or natural remedy, there's always a risk of side effects. There's always a risk of consequences. And I would say that most natural therapies mostly have pleasant consequences, um, but it's important to discuss all of them anyway. So could you tell us about some of the consequences of being on the pill? Sure. I work with women who are on the pill all the time and I ask them about side effects all the time. And I would first say that most people will report, oh, no, I'm fine. And, you know, if I'm thinking about my experience when I was on the pill and I was on it for probably around 10 years before I entered into naturopathic school and started questioning things, I think a little bit more for myself. Um, like, I don't think that I experienced any side effects when I was on it, but I can also reflect on how I felt not on it. And I think that that's sometimes the way that women will experience it is they don't feel like they have any side effects when they're on it. And then they feel different when they're off. And this, sometimes it is just like this weird feeling of feeling different. And a lot of it does have to do with the idea of the hormones that fluctuate through the month can influence how we feel. There's a woman who wrote a really, really good book on this um, called Your Brain on Birth Control. I'm not sure. Have you read that one? I've not, but I'm going to need to Google it and find it. It's really good. Yeah, it's by, um, her name is Sarah Hill. So she's a PhD researcher. And so she talks a lot about this stuff in terms of how our brains are influenced when we're on the pill. So I do think that that is an interesting angle. So I would put side effect or consequence number one, that your hormones are not cycling. And so some women might be like, yay, my hormones aren't cycling. This is a great thing. But again, then you're not going to feel the highs of when you're feeling really great with your hormones either, because every day is Groundhog Day. Um, overall, like the, you know, stamped medical summary on the pill is that the pill is safe and effective means of birth control with very few side effects. I would say, you know, with those few side effects, sometimes they can be quite severe depending on the woman. So small, small, small amount of people, really low risk of something like this happening. But one of the biggies that we're thinking about is going to be blood clots. So this was a little bit more common in some of the old school pills, less common in the more, I guess, uh, the different dosages that we're getting in some of the newer ones. But I did, like, I do have a very good friend who experienced this firsthand. She learned the hard way that smoking on the birth control pill was a bad combination when she ended up in the hospital with three blood clots in her lungs. So, you know, it does exist for sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of your listeners might also know somebody who had something like this happen to them. But th this is why there's the recommendation that you definitely should not smoke when you're on the pill. I think how a lot of women will experience this is sometimes through increased blood pressure. We do see that being a lot more common where we'll check blood pressure in these women and we'll see it kind of creep up and then they stop the pill and it goes down. A question that comes up a lot is surrounding breast cancer. This one is like such a touchy subject because there's a lot of fear, of course, surrounding breast cancer and no one wants to do anything that might increase their risk. There's research on both sides of this, so I will say that. And there is like a small amount of research that says it might increase risk of breast cancer. 
but super, super, super small chance, especially in younger women who are taking the pill. But I think when we're having conversations about true informed consent, again, that's really important that people know it still might. Also, you know, weight gain is a common side effect that women will complain about. Research is kind of mixed again on this of is it causing weight gain or is this something that we see happening because of the hormones not fluctuating in the same way throughout the cycle? One of the ones that I feel like is the most ironic about the birth control pill, since so many women are on this to prevent pregnancy, which means they're having sex, is that a decreased libido is one of the most common side effects that we see with it as well. So, you know, the irony is not wasted that women are going to maybe gain a little bit of weight and have lower libido and feel a little bit more flat, right? Definitely the side effect that gets me, I guess, the most, I don't know, driven to share and spread that information is talking about mood though. So we do know that women who are on the pill um, have an increased incidence of depression and that's seen through the diagnosis as well as the prescription of antidepressants. Again, just tying back to this idea that you can't separate you from your hormones, you are your hormones and they do make a difference as to how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis with your mood, your energy, how you show up for yourself. So you throw mood, we've got the low libido, potential weight gain, and then all of a sudden this woman is going, you know, what, what am I doing on this? But you might not, like, often these don't add up as side effects in our head because they're, they're little subtle changes that can sometimes happen over time, which I do think that makes it complicated versus, you know, the idea of a blood clot, that's, that's noticeable. <laughs> I think that also speaks to the role of healthcare providers in educating people and bringing these things to people's awareness. Because I think that medical practice, especially in the context of women's medicine, has a history of being very dismissive to women's thoughts and feelings and observations about their own bodies. Even in a non-medicated context, I've had so many patients who have gone to the doctors and have said, my period is really painful. I'm, I'm taking a week off work every month. This is a problem. And the reply is, well, that's just part of being a woman. You're going to have to get used to it. And I think that it speaks to this larger cultural problem that sometimes women just aren't trusted to know their own minds and their own bodies. And I think that it's really important to encourage people to not only listen to that, if, if you think that there's something off, to advocate for yourself and having this knowledge can help with that. Totally. And I think it, this is actually in that Your Brain on Birth Control book where she uses a story of a woman who does go on the pill, complains about low libido to her doctor, and her doctor then says, you guys have been in a relationship now for three years. It's not going to feel as romantic as it did in the beginning. And, you know, that then justifies everything in, you know, this made up woman's head that this is what to, is to be expected because she's more stressed now because she's been in this relationship for a long time. So it again, dismisses her own feelings. And I think that 
without having the awareness that that is a potential side effect to look out for, I can see how that would really easily happen. So if we're, you know, stamping this with what's the, what's the message, it's mood matters as it relates to the pill. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there are a lot of circumstances where it is absolutely appropriate and necessary and a good thing for somebody to be on the pill. And we were talking about that earlier, but that's not to say that you can't do a lot of things to support your body while you're on the pill. So could you share some of the ways that somebody might support their body while they're taking this medication? Yeah, of course. So um, there's another, I guess, potential consequence, I'll say, of being on the pill where we do know that it lowers a bunch of key vitamins, minerals. So it lowers B12, B2, B6, vitamin B12, B2, B6, selenium, magnesium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin E, and folate. So, you know, when you add up all of those together, um, even that woman just taking a really good multivitamin to make sure that she has a little bit of nutrient support to fill up her tank of some of those vitamins can make a really big difference. And I think, you know, remembering that if we think about our hormones cycling as like a vital sign of when they're not behaving how we would expect or how we would like, that can be a sign that something is off. So when you're taking the pill regularly, you just don't have that vital sign. So really what that means is you really want to pay attention to all your other vital signs really well. So what's your energy like? Are you having proper digestion? Um, how is your sleep? you need to really be doing all of those self-care pieces and watching to pay attention for things going off in other areas because you don't have your period as a clue that something might be off. So I do think that that is an important step as well. Proper diet and nutrition is of course also important regardless of the scenario that you're in. So eating really healthfully, having lots of vegetables, um, lean protein and making sure that you're meeting your caloric needs and not eating a bunch of processed foods and, you know, I guess inflammatory foods while you're on the pill would also make sure that you are still taking care of your body in a healthful way, um, even though you're taking that medication on a regular basis. Perfect. I love it. So I think that because we are a fertility podcast, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you about coming off the pill. I think that a lot of the time in the doctor's office when you get the prescription, you know, originally, and it might be 10 years ago that you first started on the pill, but then I know a lot of women go back to their doctor, let's say after they got married or after they met somebody that they want to have a baby with, and they go back to their gynecologist or their MD and they say, okay, so I want to have a baby soon. When should I come off the pill? There's actually a lot of women who are doing that due diligence and asking that question um, before they even consider it. And most of the medical community will answer, oh, we'll just come off the month before you want to conceive. And I think that you and I have seen in clinical practice that, you know, that sometimes happens, but there's a lot of times when it doesn't happen that way, which can make it a really frustrating process for somebody. So do you have any um, tips or considerations for somebody who's thinking of coming off the pill in order to get pregnant in the future? Yeah, I think in my practice, what I see is a lot of fear around stopping the pill as well. 
I think that by the time I get women who I'm working with, they start to feel like the pill is bad that they're on it because maybe they've listened to podcasts like this and they're questioning their decisions again and they're now rethinking their plan in a different way. So, you know, first I would really just speak to, you know, the big picture idea that there's nothing bad about the pill in this situation and that we don't really need to enter into the decision of coming off the pill from a place of fear. So I, I think that that is a really important piece that, yeah, like most people will stop the pill and cycles will continue how they should continue within one to three months. So like that's what most women will experience. But what we do know is that this depends a lot on what your cycles were before you started on the pill. And, you know, if someone started on the pill when they were 15 years old and they barely remember what their periods were like before because they were so disconnected from their body, sometimes we just have no clue what's going to happen. If you have irregular cycles or a lot of hormone issues that led to the implementation of taking the pill, there's a really good chance that all of those hormone issues are still going to be waiting for when you stop. So like this is part of what I would consider to be the coming off the pill plan is really taking the time to reflect on why did you start? How did you feel when you were on it? What did you take it for? What were your cycles like before? To give us at least some sort of idea of what we might expect when we start to think about stopping the pill. If we're thinking about setting intention in a woman's mind of she wants to have a baby and we're looking at stopping the pill and timeline, I would usually say at least three months just to see what's up with the hormones and also to set the expectation that we might not get a regular menstrual cycle that first month after stopping and that's okay. Essentially, we have all of these connections between our brain and our hormones or our ovaries that are making the, the hormones. And, you know, I kind of picture if you have an engine that's been on idle for a bunch of years, it's going to take a little bit of, you know, stimulating to get that system all connected and running again. I am a big, um, I guess, supporter in not bringing in what I consider to be fear-based medicine surrounding stopping the pill as well. So a lot of the times my conversations with women is, it's going to be okay, <laughs> right? Like a lot of, of the times I'm having those conversations and recognizing that your pill will be processed through your body and like it'll leave your body within like a few days after stopping your last pill. That's why you need to take it every day because it doesn't hang out there forever. So you don't necessarily need to like detox this pill out of your body on like this super cleanse for three months. Does it make sense to focus in on your health and, you know, supporting and optimizing your physiology and getting your body ready preconception before you have a baby? Sure. But it doesn't have to come from a place, I think, of fear that look what you've done. You've taken a pill for 20 years and now we need to get it out of your body. So I think the words we use with women is really, really important when it comes to that. That's great. That's really, really good advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's hard because... You know, another thing that I think is important is that, you know, if we 
clue back to this idea of our menstrual cycle being like a flag or a vital sign being waved. If you've been on the pill for 20 years, we've not had that signal. So if you have an extra amount of stress that's piled up over 20 years, an environmental exposure that's creeped in over that 20 years, or your diet has shifted, your physiology has shifted in a way that if you were getting a period, your period may have changed. So what that means as well is that if you had regular cycles before taking the pill and you stop, we don't know where your body is at now. So this isn't always the pill's fault. It's that we've been, you know, walking around with blinders on or our head in the sand for the last little bit, and we have to learn how our body is responding to. So there's this conversation around post-pill syndrome and the idea that, you know, what happens if we get a diagnosis of PCOS or hypothalamic amenorrhea where our period doesn't come back because everything is kind of geared down. And I would argue that that may have like that stage was likely set before you stopped the pill. And, you know, it's our job then to pay attention to the signs so that we can get things back on track. Definitely, you know, proper nutrition support is an important step with that, you know, stopping too. So I think acne is always one of these things that women have a lot of anxiety or fear about as well. Sometimes we will be a little bit more proactive with trying to optimize their physiology under the surface before they stop the pill. And I would say I do implement those strategies in my one-to-one practice often, where, you know, the last month before you're even stopping, we'll do a little bit of extra support on a physiologic level, whether that be through diet, nutrition, or through extra vitamins or supplementation, and even just a little bit after. Not necessarily because that woman, again, needs it, but it eases a little bit of the disconcernment around what might happen when we stop, um, especially when it comes to skin, which a lot of women are really sensitive about for obvious reasons. No one, no one wants to experience that. For sure. I think that's a really, really important piece of things that can probably provide a lot of relief to people listening. It's that it's not the pill that has created these negative things that might happen when you come off of the pill. It's that they were likely there to begin with or may have developed over your lifetime, but we just weren't able to see it happening because the pill was keeping your hormones at a baseline level. So take yourself off the hook if you're having a a negative time when you're coming off the pill. And from what I'm hearing from you, it's that there are solutions to whatever comes up. Totally. And well, sometimes it might be time like there is a little aspect of this you know if if your pills not or if your period's not back in the first month i would just be patient for a few months um you know i wouldn't feel the urgency if it didn't come back after month one to get really upset over oh no where is it what's happening but i also am a big supporter of getting hormones tested when you've been off the pill for three months Another common question that women will ask me is about hormone testing. And, you know, you can't really test hormones when you're on the pill because, again, your hormones aren't your hormones when they're on when you're on the pill. So getting a really good baseline as to what your hormones are actually doing and saying when you've been off for the three months is a really nice kind of segue into, okay, now what are we dealing with, right? Especially like this is especially important, I think, for women that 
may have had a previous diagnosis of PCOS or some other hormone issue before they started the pill is that, you know, the sooner the better to be able to figure out what's going on under the surface if we're going to try to get some, I guess, natural hormone cycles going from a like fertility, but also just healthy reproductive standpoint. I know there's some conversation surrounding the idea that women who were on the birth control pill for PCOS might be at an increased spot of fertility in the first few months after stopping. But you know, I've, I've heard this talked about, I dug around looking for research to back it up and I couldn't find it. So I'm not sure if you have any insight into that or not, but I think the general rule of thumb is, especially if you have a history of PCOS, is that it might take some time. So the sooner the better to actually figure out what your hormones are saying versus waiting until you think everything is right at the ripe age of 36 to say, now I'm ready. Let's go. Because what if it doesn't come back as we would expect? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that I've had a similar experience clinically and that I haven't noticed um, it. Be, I mean, there have definitely been people along the way that I've seen who have been diagnosed with PCOS previously, and they were just shocked that they got pregnant no problem the first month. I mean, it does happen, but I would say that it's definitely not a normal occurrence in my clinical practice. And it's usually, again, that waiting game, that that exercise in patients. Mm-hmm. This has been so informative and amazing and positive. I can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting with us about this. Megan, if people want to get in touch with you to continue the conversation, can you tell us about how people can find you? Yes, I certainly can. So the, um, I guess, best way to get in touch with me is probably through my Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Dr. Meg McKinnon, M-A-C-K-I-N-N-O-N dot N-D. Um, And I specifically for your audience have created a free harness your hormones guide just for you guys. Ooh, exciting. It is exciting. Well, I wanted to try to simplify, I think, some of the the concepts and the messages in a place that is easily accessible. So in the guide, it talks about coming off the pill and like an easy stepwise process. And then we also, or I also included um, essential blood work tests to be thinking about once you're off the pill from a conception perspective and a fertility perspective. So um, you'll be able to access that through my Instagram link or my um, bio at the top. I'll put a link there. So that's something that will always live there for you guys. Amazing. I will make sure that I link all these uh, very important links directly into the show notes so you can click them and find them easily wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, Dr. Megan, thank you so much for being here and we'll look forward to having you back again soon. That's awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. So that's my interview with Dr. Megan. I love this topic and how it inspires deep thought and reflection of our expectations of healthcare as people who identify as women. At the very least, we should expect informed consent. What did you think of our conversation today? I want to hear from you. I want you to go and find me over on Instagram at Fertility Academy and send me a message. That's going to be it for me today. I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. Until then, take care. 
Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.